first coming attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll take you behind the scenes, interview celebrities, and review new movies, TV shows, and digital releases. Now, here are your hosts from Kids First Coming Attractions. Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm Jerry Ors, and today we have a lot of great people to talk to. But first, I want to talk to you about Fathom Events. Now, Fathom Events is a really great service. If you're a fan of movies, if you're a fan of plays, if you're a fan of anything, they are so amazing, and they have so many great events. And it is perfect that our first interview is all about Fathom Events. Natalia got the pleasure to sit down with Ray Nutt, who is no other than the CEO of Fathom Events. And they got to talk about the business, about Fathom Events model, and so much more. Let's see what they talked about. I'm Natalia Jackson, reporting from Kids First, joined by members of our Kids First team, who will participate in Q&A after our interview. Today, I have the pleasure and honor to catch up with Ray Nutt, Chief Executive Officer at Fathom Events, one of the largest distributors of content to movie theaters in North America. With over three decades of experience in the entertainment business, wow, three decades, what a superstar you are. You bring three decades of experience in the entertainment business from your work as SVP at Regal Entertainment Group to EVP at United Artists Entertainment to CEO at Fathom Events Entertainment. Can you describe what your job entails on a daily slash weekly basis in terms that a young person like me can understand? You bet, you bet. Um, well, I'm, I'm not only responsible, I don't always view my responsibilities to my board of directors, but I, I'm responsible to all of our thousands of customers that buy, buy movie tickets through Fathom, all of our employees, um, and everybody in the Fathom family. But my job is, is really interesting and it's, it's really fun because it's very, very diverse. And if you look at what our content is, it ranges from everything from anime to the Metropolitan Opera to boxing. And so every single day is a little bit different for me and that's what gets me hopping out of bed and going into the office and getting excited about what I do. That's really cool that you guys have developed such a platform that's such diverse as you stated has so many cool different things and interests for those people who are interested. And I think that's really cool. I agree with you. You joined Fathom back in 2017. Can you share some of your highlights from what you developed there and how is Fathom events different from now than when you first joined? Yeah, we do about 150 events a year now. But when I first joined, we were actually doing somewhere around 170 events. So I got my leadership team together and I said, uh, last year actually, I said, guys, we got to do less events, but we got to have more revenue. We got to sell more tickets. And they looked at me like I had three heads and <laughs> we figured it out. And uh, uh, what the way we ended up doing that was we ended up getting, acquiring better content, more attractive content, selling more tickets to less events. So that's one of the things that I'm pretty proud of. The other thing is it's, it's a real fun job. It's very entrepreneurial in our company. So if you decide one day or anybody decides one day that we want to get into a different vertical as opposed to arts and anime and that type of thing, you can do that. So one of the verticals that we've actually been developing is the television vertical. And uh, we celebrated with friends their 25th anniversary last year with 12 episodes of Friends and never uh, seen before content. We, did, we brought back I Love Lucy and, and colorized uh, the content uh, on screen. We did uh, Twilight Zone 
And we got a, an event teed up with Carol Burnett to bring back some of her uh, great sitcoms. So at any rate, it's a, it's a, it's a real fun, to, it's fun to do that. Wow. Over the last three years, um, and now being CEO, you, the company has evolved so much and every great leader has a plan and you've just proven that, you know, the fact that you had a plan to kind of lower your events, but get more people to come and have more tickets sold. I think it was a crazy and bold idea, but it was definitely worth it. So congratulations on that. Thanks very much. You're listening to Kids First Climb Attractions. Right now we're talking with Ray Nutt, who is the CEO of Fathom Events. Fathom Events has special uh, events that are so incredible. They have independent movies. They have foreign movies. They have classics. I love their classics events. And I definitely recommend you check them out. But let's get back to the interview. Yes, um, I know Fathom Events is owned by three largest U.S. movie theater circuits, AMC, Cinemark, and Regal. You must have some insight into what these companies are doing now and what their plans are for reopening theaters. What can you share with us? Is there hope? Well, there is hope. And uh, actually, speaking of hope, we, uh, when, when this crisis started happening, we actually uh, started an initiative uh, called HOPE. And we came up with our own acronym, so to speak. And uh, the H stands for the health of our employees. One of the first things that we did was make sure that our employees were safe and healthy. And we were one of the first companies actually to send our employees home and have them work remotely. And I'm proud to say today that all of them are safe and healthy to the best of my knowledge. The O in HOPE stands for optimistic. You gotta have optimism and you gotta know that you're gonna come through this thing. And our, our team is very, very optimistic. I am obviously very optimistic in terms of where we are and getting theaters open and getting our content in there again. The P stands for persistence. Uh, you have to be persistent with what you do and, and our team has done that. And then the E stands for Excel. And what that means is that we have to be ready during this time of crisis to tackle projects, to acquire content, and do a number of different things so that when theaters do open, we're ready to go. And I'm confident that Fathom is actually going to have more content in theaters than possibly even the largest distributors like Disney and Warner Brothers. That is great to hear. I'm glad to know that you guys are careful and being prepared for those and the safety of others. And yes, congratulations. Thank you so much for sharing about Hope. Yes, back in March when it became evident how severe the COVID-19 pandemic was going to be to the industry and Fathom, you launched an inter internal project called HOPE, an acronym with a larger purpose to keep your company focused. So congratulations on that. Thank you. It's, it's, it's good on a daily basis to stay focused on that and have our team stay focused on that. And uh, it's, it's been very gratifying. And we hope we get to that E so we can excel out the other end. Yes, and I wanted to know, speaking of hope, what does it mean to your company and to the consumers? Well, I think, what does hope mean to the company and consumers? Yes. Well, to our, to our company, again, it, it has helped us stay very, very focused on, um, on what our mission is and where we're going and, and you know, acquiring content. Um, so it's, you know, every communication that I have with our company whether it's email or a conference call or a, a, a Teams or a Zoom meeting or that type of thing these days, um, it's, it's always on our minds and it's always mentioned and, and they can relate to it. Uh, to our customers, it's interesting is I, I posted something on a couple of social sites about our HOPE project and the response has been overwhelming in terms of the people that have seen it 
I posted on LinkedIn, and there's been people who have liked it, had comments. Wonderful to hear. Um, along with that, Fathom Events is the leader in event cinema, offering one-of-a-kind events such as live, HD performances, of the Metropolitan Opera, performing arts, sporting events even, music concerts, comedy series, so much more. Broadway shows, there's just so much to name. How important is programming for youth and families to Fathom and what might we look forward to seeing in the future? Well, that's, that's a very important category. Those two categories are very important for us, youth and family. And uh, uh, we have a number of different content providers that I probably can't mention at this time because we're in discussions with them, but they're big brands that serve the youth and family communities. And I think you're gonna see quite a bit of content coming um, uh, from us. I will tell you, uh, to be honest with you, uh, uh, youth and family has, has been kind of on and off for us. And that's because when, when you're providing content uh, to youth and family, a lot of it has to be on weekends. Um, and you're competing with other things that, that uh, kids and families want to do on weekends, whether it's sports or you know, soccer, whatever it might be. So um, it's been a challenge for us, and uh, but we're ready to tackle it. And there's a couple of big brands that we have uh, we have coming uh, that you'll see uh, first run content and family friendly content as well. Thank you for sharing that. Um, to continue, um, I wanted to know, speaking from you as a 30 year veteran of the entertainment <laughs> industry, what advice do you have for kids like me who want to be successful in the entertainment industry and achieve the type of position that you have? Well, I, 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 like to, I like to talk about five different principles that I sort of have lived by and, and have uh, run my career by, if you will. And then the first one is, is passion. You have to have passion for whatever you do. You have to have fun with what you want to do to be successful, in my opinion. And I've had the, the great fortune to, um, to, to have a lot of fun with what I'm doing. And, and the other one is surrounding yourself with a number of, of great people. Um, you want to you wanna surround yourself with great people all the time. That I'm all about team, and um, my team at Fathom is just absolutely awesome. Every single, there's only 50 of us, but, but every one of them are great, and um, we enjoy doing things together. We enjoy inventing things together, and you know, there was a guy by the name of Jim Collins who wrote a book called Good to Great uh, a long time ago, and he talked about getting the right people on the bus. And what that means is that, you know, it analogizes a bus being maybe a company, but then you got to get the right people on the bus on your team, and then you got to get them in the right seats as well. And they got to enjoy what they're doing. Um, the third thing is establish a plan with realistic goals, um, whether, that's, whether those are personal plans, whether those are professional plans. And know when you do so that those plans are probably going to change as you get closer to your first job or your career move or whatever that might be. So you got to be flexible with that. Something that's very important to me is simplifying everything. Um, and what I mean by that is that there's a lot of noise in the world. There's a lot of people that create a lot of noise and and distraction and everything. So what I try to do is I really try to simplify my personal life. I try to simplify my professional life and get rid of the, you know, surround myself with problem solvers and not problem makers.
you have accomplished once more, just wanted to say it again, so much in the time that you've been in the entertainment industry. I mean, three decades, that's quite a long time. And what I enjoy so much about these interviews is getting to get the journey behind what they've accomplished, seeing where they are now and where they came from. It's just astonishing to see their journey, the outcome, the issues they've been through and how they've overcome them. And I love learning advice from them because you can really take, you can really take it along with what you're doing. So thank you so much. We have just interviewed Ray Nutt, CEO of Fathom Events, and learned about how they are dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and we can, what we can look forward to in the future. Thanks so much for Ray Nutt from Fathom Events to talking to us. Make sure to check out Fathom Events and the many amazing events they have. But let's take a quick break. I'm your host, Jerry Ors from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. This week's show is sponsored by Yokai Watch the Movie. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jerry Orris from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First. Now, we had the pleasure of having some of our fine critics ask Ray Nutt, CEO of Fathom Events, some questions about his job, how he got there, and what he thinks the future of the industry is like. So let's see what incredible questions they got to ask. In our Zoom audience today, we have three Kids First reporters who would love to ask Mr. Nutt some questions. So let's see what they have to say. First off, we are going to ask Tiana to speak. There you go, Tiana. Hi, my name is Tian Sermons. Thank you so much, Mr. Nye, for sharing all of this amazing information with us today. My question is, what has been that one theater experience or event that has just got you so excited that you just couldn't miss it, and what made it so special? Well, I, I don't know if there's a, a one, one, one event or one moment um, in that little town that I grew up in, uh, in Wilmington, Illinois, there was a little, you know, single screen theater there. And I can remember my parents taking me to movies. It's called the Mar Theater. They were taking me to movies there. And, you know, I kind of fell in love with that, not knowing that this is what I would end up doing or that, you know, I could ever do anything related to, to Hollywood. But I, but I really think, you know, what really, really I like is 
is the different kind of content and seeing how the people that attend that content are moved in different ways, whether we're educating them. We do a lot of faith and inspiration things. We see people getting on their feet and clapping and, you know, going to boxing matches. And, you know, with a lot of our content as well, you, you, you know, most people are told when you go to the movies, turn your, turn your cell phone off and be quiet and watch the movie. With a lot of events, it's just the opposite. We're saying turn your cell phone on, have fun, get up, dance, sing, do whatever. And I like to watch the emotion of our, uh, of our customers, especially when you're taking a piece of content from a, just, a, a, just an idea that you have and then watch it go all the way through the cycle and get to the big screen. That's pretty cool. That definitely does seem like a very special moment. Thank you. Thank you, I'm Tiana. Wonderful question. Over to Jashida now. Uh, how has Fathom Events been dealing with movie theaters closing all across the nation? That's a great question. Um, um, you know, nobody knew how serious this thing was going to be uh, when, it, when it first started. And, uh, you know, everybody was talking about it like it was the flu and it was going to come and it was going to go. And, you know, who, who would have thought here we are, you know, a few months later and movie theaters and businesses all over the, the world are closed. Um, so, you know, the first thing we did was we launched that whole project that I talked about. That's, that's one of the first things. Um, the second thing we did was we made sure that we uh, maintain contact with with a number of different people. So I felt a huge responsibility to make sure since people were working at home that we maintain constant communication with our team. Um, second thing was maintaining um, uh, communication with our content providers because most of our content providers have not canceled their events. They've sort of moved them off to later in the year. So you're going to see a lot of content coming in the latter part of this year and into 2021. So we had to make sure that uh, they knew what was going on, that they knew Fathom was going to be here for them when we got through all this. Um, and then obviously talking to not only our three owners, AMC, Cinemark, and Regal, about what we were doing, what we had planned, but also um, the 97 other theater circuits in North America that we distribute to, and then circuits worldwide that we distribute to as well. So those are all the tentacles that are out there and our partners that we have to uh, communicate with and uh, we, we've done a I think our team has done a very very good job at that and keeping the lines of communication open because when you don't do that then that's when rumors and people start speculating and everything and we, we don't we don't want that we want to be totally transparent with what we're doing great question you're listening to kids first contractions today we are talking with Ray Nutt, who is the CEO of Fathom Events, some of our fine kids for film critics got the pleasure of talking to him about his business of being CEO of Fathom Events. Fathom Events is really amazing. They have some of the coolest screenings you can ever find. And I definitely recommend you check them all out. Let's get back to the interview. Um, now we're going to head on to Catherine. Thanks. Hi, Mr. Nutt. So your rise to the top is so fascinating. So you're the CEO. So how, does your, is, how is your success measured? Well, you know, most people can say they're, you know, a lot of people can say their success is measured by, by numbers. And, you know, you can say, yeah, our, our revenue and our ticket sales have gone up about 45 to 50% in three years. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I like to measure ourselves by our, by our team and, and the people that we, we work with, the people that we're surrounded with. 
we spend more time, it seems like, with our people at work uh, than we do our families. And they become family, and we're a very close-knit uh, team there. There's, there's no, that old saying, there's no I in team is, is, a, is true at Fathom. Um, so I'd like to think that the way that, that I'm measured by is by the respect of our content providers, our owners, our customers. And when I see comments about what a great time they're having and bring back more of this content and that and some of the new things, the entrepreneurial things that we're doing, um, at the end of the day, you know, if, if people respect that, then that's not, that's not a bad part of your legacy to have. Great question, actually. Now we are going to kind of circle back onto Tiana. An event around Mary Poppins or Mary Poppins Returned would do well inside the United States or England. How do you determine which countries a certain experience would show well? That's a great question because, as I just mentioned, we do distribute our content internationally. So there's a couple different things I can talk to. Um, domestically, you have to do a lot of research before you acquire a piece of content, and especially when it's such diverse content as ours. So, for example, maybe a piece, uh, maybe a content uh, that has a title that's faith-based um, plays well in some Bible Belt areas, for example. But and, and you really need to get granular when you, you know our team gets very granular when they think about the research that's associated with this because. There's a lot at risk when you acquire some content, um, even though you're doing 150 events a year. So even domestically, there's different pockets, even in different DMAs or communities, that it will do better over here than it will do over there. Uh, internationally, we distribute to about 45 countries internationally. And um, one that comes to mind uh, that, that you guys may or may not relate to is um, we Elvis Presley back in 19, the mid 1960s was uh, was sort of his popularity was sort of falling off. So he did a program with NBC, and it was called the the 68 Elvis Comeback. And he did this comeback show where he had his band in this little circular area, and uh, they broadcasted it, and he sang a lot of his songs and everything, and they captured it. Well, we brought it back like two years ago. And I didn't know whether it would do well internationally or not. My team was saying, yeah, I think Elvis is pretty popular, not only in the United States, but he's, he's popular in other countries. So we distributed it to a number of different countries, and lo and behold, we did just as well internationally with strong performances in countries like Australia and Germany as we, as we did in the United States. So it, it really, to your question, it takes a lot of research, and you really need to nail it down before you acquire not only the domestic rights, but the international rights to that content as well. Wow, that sounds like a very interesting process. Thank you. You bet. Yes. I love that question. Wonderful. Now we're going to head over to Joshita. Are Fathom event tickets more expensive than a typical first-run film? That's a great question, and there is a, a, a method for our madness on that. Um, uh, Fathom tickets are traditionally more expensive than, say, a traditional movie ticket. Um, and, and that one of the reasons, there's a number of reasons. The first reason is when you go to a Fathom event, there's always added value content or some kind of added value. So you'll see a Q&A with the actor, the director, the talent. Um, 
you'll see a panel discussion of some sort that's extra that's never been seen before. Uh, it ranges depending on what value you get. But the bottom line is this, you're always getting added value when you come to a Fathom event, whether it's the live performances or it can be, you know, a poster or some collectible card or something of that sort that they get at the theater when they buy the ticket. That is so cool. Thank you. Yes, very cool, actually. I didn't know so much about that, but that's cool to hear. Great question once again. Now we are going to head over to Tiana. Plans does Fathom Events have to bring the movie experiences to a digital platform, and what type of events do you think will do well there? That is an awesome question, and I'll tell you why. Uh, and, and it's a very timely question uh, based on what's happening right now with movie theaters closed. And uh, so many of the studios and others launching their streaming services on platforms. So um, uh, in order to answer that question, you sort of need to understand how uh, content is acquired. Um, we deal with content providers that have their digital platforms completely figured out, like the studios, for example. We have it completely figured out. And, and I will tell you, because of what has happened with theaters being closed, it's accelerated some of our discussions in terms of the digital platforms that, uh, uh, that are available to content providers that haven't figured out their downstream. Uh, type of content, yeah, I think, I think, you know, the sky's the limit on that. Wow, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I agree with Mr. Matt. It's a very timely question based off what's happening, unfortunately, due to coronavirus. So, um, great question, Tiana. Now we're going to circle on to Catherine. All right. So you have a very like huge job. You have so many responsibilities as CEO. And how do you balance your home and work life with such a big job? And what do you do for fun or what's your happy place? Um, and, you know, personally, what I do is, is uh, you know, I do spend a lot of time, obviously, at work. Um, we spend, uh, uh, my wife and I, and I'm lucky to have uh, two adult children that live within five miles of us. So we get to see each other quite a bit. Um, and so uh, we spend uh, a lot of time. I have a ranch about two hours southwest of Denver that we get to go up there on weekends. And I do some fly fishing and uh, ATV riding um, uh, up there on the, in the summers. And it's about a half hour from Breckenridge, so we ski in the wintertime. So that's, that's uh, it's very important that I think you get away. And not to say that if you're on the ski slopes and that phone rings and it's a business issue that I'm not answering it, but it is important to balance, I think, your personal and your professional life. And that's how I end up doing it. Yeah, and you, you sound like you have such a fun like life. Well, obviously with work and without work, I mean, having a ranch, I mean, that's awesome. So thank you. I totally agree. I mean, having a ranch, that's pretty awesome i mean that's pretty cool during this quarantine to be able to go up there and be that awesome i love that question as well getting to know a little bit about your personal life as well um well that is it for now thank you so much for speaking with us remember we're natalie jackson we have just interviewed Raina, ceo of fathom events be sure to look for this and other csu interviews on our kids first youtube channel weekly podcast and website be sure to subscribe and come back for more interviews and reviews of the latest film and key players in family entertainment. Once again, thank you so much, Mr. Nutt, for speaking with us. Thanks very much, guys. You guys are great, and uh, good luck to all of you.
Thanks so much for Ray Nutt for talking to us all about his career and his business. Let's take a quick break. I'm Jerry Orris from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. This week's show is sponsored by Yokai Watch the Movie. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jerry Orris from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Now, outside of film, something I love is football. My family is a huge New York Giants fan. We love the New York Giants and hope they win every single Super Bowl possible. But Toni Harris is someone who is not only an incredible football player, she's the first woman to get a football scholarship. She's a survivor of cancer, and she was part of NFL's Draftathon, which was a charity to raise funds for COVID-19 relief. She is an incredible woman. Benjamin had the pleasure of talking to her about her life story, and it is just such an inspirational interview. Let's start the interview. Hello, this is Benjamin Price reporting for Kids First, and today uh, joining me is Tony Harris, who is aiming to be the first woman to play in the NFL and the first woman non-kicker to earn a full college football scholarship. So how does your passion for football begin? I believe my passion for football started when I was about four years old. You know, you watch Pal and, um, you know, the little leagues playing football. And I ended up going with my mom to one of my cousin's games and I saw him playing. And that's kind of how my passion started. I saw him out there running and making tackles and I wanted to be out there too. And so that's how it all began. Well, it it looks like it's taken you pretty far. Um... (laughs) I hope it does. (laughs) How did you get involved uh, with this NFL Draftathon event? Well, so last year, I actually hosted, I did like a hosting thing last year at the NFL Draft where I did interviews um, in the back uh, of the draft stage with the first round draft picks. It was like a draft jingle or whatever, you know, conversing with them, and it went really, really well. And so they actually asked me to come back this year to appear on the streamer, which Eisen, which I'll be appearing on Saturday again because they liked it that well. And then uh, a couple months ago, I did the Pro Bowl, and then in December, I did the NFL's um, 
360 commercial. So it's just, it's just all going, going like in a good direction. So that's how I ended up. I'm guessing everything's been going good so far since I've been working with them. So they keep, hopefully they, this continues. Very cool. In 2019, you were at the center of Toyota's Super Bowl commercial. Can you talk about being the star of a Super Bowl commercial and what that experience was like for you? Oh my God, it was so exciting, but it was so scary. I didn't know how it was going to come out. I didn't know how it was going to look on national TV in front of everybody. I didn't know how people were going to be judging me. But it was an experience that you can never forget. It was so amazing. I, I didn't think that the commercial would just be literally how it was. I thought that they would show like more people and because we filmed with so many people. I didn't even think the commercial would be called Tony, but it was an experience of a lifetime. I'm very grateful for Toyota, uh, you know, showcasing my story to the world and just getting it out there, letting them know that females are trying to take over the future is female. Who's the person you look up to the most in your sport and how do you emulate them in the way that you play? Honestly, there's not one person that I look up to in my sport. There's more, like more than one person because everybody has some type of different personality or some type of thing that they do to motivate me. Like there's Russell Wilson. He's a God-fearing man. And there's Cam Chancellor, the way he hits. And there's Patrick Peterson and the way he intercepts the ball. Like there's not just one person. There's something from every defensive player or offensive player that kind of puts that motivation and that drive into me that, that you know, that keeps me going to let me know that I can continue doing it as well. So you got like a whole unit of inspirations going I on. have probably, there's probably one person from every team or maybe two that have, yeah. that I've talked about, seen, or that sends some type of motivation toward my way. So, yeah. You've encountered many obstacles in your life on and off the field. What is the key to overcoming adversity? The key to overcoming adversity is always keeping God first. No matter what you go through, your faith comes first because at the end of the day, that is the only person who can get you through anything. I always tell myself, like, as long as I have my faith and I believe in myself, at the end of the day, nothing else matters. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. And right now we're talking with Tony Harris, who is an incredible woman. She was the first woman to get a football scholarship. She is a survivor of cancer. She was part of NFL's charity to raise uh, relief for COVID-19 draft-a-thon. Let's get back to her interview with Benjamin. You've had plenty of people tell you no when you wanted to advance your football ambitions. How have you maintained persistence and proved those people wrong? Um, I think it's not about just proving them wrong. I think it's about proving myself right also. And so, of course, yeah, a lot of people have told me no. But as any of my coaches know, I, I don't take no for an answer. That's one thing that helps me overcome a lot of the things and continue progressing throughout the process. Because I just, I don't, I, I, I don't know. My grandmother used to say when I was younger, can't and no die when she was, kid, she was a kid and I never heard of it. So either the words I can't or the words no, they, they don't mean anything to me. I go, they go through one ear and out the other. And I think that kind of helps me uh, throughout my life doing things. Uh, you're a student at Central Methodist University. So what's your favorite aspect of the college experience and how has the transition to online schooling been? Uh, I think my favorite aspect at Central Methodist is actually really having my own single dorm. I, I, I think with the schedule that I'm having between football, uh, yeah. I do three sports, cheerleading and track and field. I wow. just need time to come down to myself. And my, my dorm looks like a little apartment. 
So I come down, wind down, take a shower, eat, and I can just, you know, relax my mind. Um, I think the college experience is not as bad as it seems. This isn't my first time in college, and it isn't my first time taking online classes, but the experience is different with teachers who've never taught online classes before because the, the homework load is humongous. Um, I, I've never experienced it before, but I just can't wait for this two weeks to be over. We're done in two weeks, so I'm excited. Um, and going off of that, what's your favorite class? My favorite class has to be, whew, I think my favorite class has to be my religion class. That's one of them, and my constitutional aspects class, only because it's helping me learn more about the criminal justice system. But I think I think I like religion more because although I study, I am a Christian, I've been able to learn about all different types of religions, understanding why other people's point of views, why they feel the way they feel, why they do the things they do. And it helps you get a, a better perspective of wh why people study what they study. You said that after college and after football, uh, you've considered becoming a, a forensic, a, um, a forensic scientist. Uh, yeah. More so like, being a criminal, um, a homicide detective with a background. Sorry, that's what I, that was what I was no, trying to say. No, you're fine. Completely fine. Sometimes everybody gets this stuff. But yeah, I, I have my eyes set on that. But I have, like I said, I have put my mind towards doing a lot of things. I even have my mind set on being an NFL analyst, if that's, you know, in the works of my possibility, because I've taken so many communication classes and stuff. So I'm open to the possibility, but I would definitely love to be a homicide detective you know, having that background in forensics so that I can work in the field and outside the field. How are you maintaining your workout regimen when there are uh, restrictions on uh, going out currently? So me and my boyfriend, we work out daily. Uh, I have a workout bundle from um, Ideal Fit, who I'm sponsored by. And it's a workout slash um, like a drink, um, you know, like the protein drinks or whatever. And they sent me a workout kit. It has a ball in it. Workout bands, jump ropes, resistance bands, things that we can work out with. Uh, me and my boyfriend also have a weight bench. We have weights, dumbbells, uh, kettlebells for us to work out with. And we also go uh, to the track and run. So that's the way we keep our regimen in where we're working out, even though everything's is closed and our trainers are really not training. Uh, my trainer also trains us via Zoom. So we do workouts with my trainer Monday through Friday. What advice would you have for other women who want to pursue a career in football? I would first tell them to know that they are enough to be able to go out and do it. And I would also tell them to not let anybody, not one person, steer them away from the dream that they want to do. Because at the end of the day, not just one dream or one career was just meant for a man or a woman. We can possibly do anything we want. Like, honestly, I tell people all the time, if there was an NFL for women right now, I would not have to be pursuing going to the NFL with a bunch of men. I possibly would be in that NFL right now, but I have to take what I'm given right now, and there's no NFL for women, so I'm here as I sit. <laughs> well, I sincerely hope you get there. Uh, I'm, I'm rooting for you. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank this you is so much, Benjamin. I appreciate you. you guys for having me on.
this is Benjamin Price reporting for Kids First, signing off. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Tony Harris, for talking to us all about her experience, her life story, and her words of wisdom for our audience. Let's take a quick break. I'm your host, Jerry Orris from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. This week's show is sponsored by Yokai Watch the Movie. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jerry Ors from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Right now, we're talking with Spaceship Earth, an incredible, incredible documentary. I just love the concept so much. It's about a group of people spending a long time in this small capsule called Biosphere 2, and we got the pleasure of sitting down with the director, Matt Wolf. Zoe had the pleasure of interviewing him, and I just love this concept so much, and I think it sets us up for a long future where we may have to live in pods like this. But without further ado, I'll let Matt Wolf talk about all his experience making Spaceship Earth and what he believes its significance is. Hi everyone, welcome to Kids First. Today I have the pleasure to interview um, Matt Wolf, who directed this new film called Spaceship Earth. He actually was nom- well, this film was nominated for Miami Film Festivals and also for Sundance Film Festivals. Hi Matt, welcome to Kids First. Hi, good to meet you. Nice to meet you too. This film is unbelievable. Honestly, if this was, like, if I heard this film, I'd probably think it was fictional, but the fact that this is real is just blowing my mind. So I what know, do, crazy, right? Yeah. Um, what do you love the most about directing documentaries? Well, I love forming relationships with real people. You know, like, uh, I mean, actors are real people too, but for me, it's more complicated and interesting to get to know people and to have a real relationship, but at the same time to step back and to tell their story. And I also like to make films that have a lot of archival footage in them. For me, the dream is to find a really interesting story with people who are around to tell it and then to have a huge archive associated with it so that I can bring stories from the past to life. And Spaceship Earth was a kind of amazing, perfect trifecta of all those things. Um, as you said, a crazy story, too, true, too crazy to be true, but it is. And then 
um, amazing people who I got to know, but also they filmed everything. So it was a really special opportunity to tell this story. Was it hard to access any of like the film? And what, what do you think was like the biggest challenge while making this? I think the biggest challenge is just how complex and epic the story is. There's so many different players and personalities involved. We wanted to make a film in which you can feel and get to know a, a cast of characters and it covers 50 years. So it's a lot of material to mine through both in terms of the archive, but just in terms of telling a story. So we had to find ways to make it accessible and to simplify it without losing the nuance. Yeah, I've never directed anything or filmed any movie, but I'm sure it takes a lot of like skill. So did you think you like pushed your skill limit while making this film? Totally. The film totally challenged me to use all the things I've learned while making other films, but to to go into a different new part of my brain. The ideas are new ones than I've ever dealt with. I've never had so many characters in a film to grapple with, but um, it's always so fun. I really think of filmmaking as a kind of process of problem solving. And there were so many um, opportunities for me to collaborate with my editor, David Teague, and producer Stacey Reese and others to, to kind of unlock the huge puzzle that is Biosphere 2. Yeah, and... Um... Well, I remember in watching the film, it said that, well, the documentary, that this experience kind of changed the crew. Um, do you think this changed you as well, just as a person or a director? That's, that's a great question. Yeah, every time I make a film, it really changes who I am, too. Not only through the relationships with people and the collaborations, but also just really living in ideas that are true to that story. And and this film really grapples with the idea of small groups. What if we bound together with a small group of people who had the sh same goals and aspirations of us and kind of combined all of our skills? I feel like we can accomplish amazing things. And that made me appreciate more what it's like to collaborate with people when I make a film, but also the small community that surrounds me and how we might band together, particularly during crazy times like this. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure in 1997, there was like another thing called Spaceship Earth, if I'm not wrong. Did that inspire you or did you know about that at all while making this? I didn't. The title comes from a book from the 1960s that was about um, geodesic domes. Those were something that came about in the 60s and the shape and style of them inspired by a sphere too. Um, but it was a real symbol for sustainability during um, the 1960s. But then Epcot, the, the kind of amusement park associated with Disney World, has a ride called Spaceship Earth. And it's also this big kind of cartoony geodesic dome in the middle. So I thought that title was, was good because it kind of combines like earnest 60s theory with, um, you know, kind of theme park cartoony stuff. And that's the, the spirit of the film and of the project. Yeah, I've been to Epcot a couple times and I've always seen that huge dome. Did that inspire you at all as well? Or did anything, like I'm sure you had to do research in order to conduct this amazing film, so. Well, I took a pilgrimage to Epcot to go on to Spaceship Earth because the ride is being, um, the ride is being updated. And I wanted to see the original Spaceship Earth with all of its kind of animatronic vignettes about the future and progress and, it's pretty outdated, but it was really interesting. And there's even a photo of the inventors of Biosphere 2 visiting Epcot themselves in the film. So I took it upon myself to go visit the amusement park, too. 
You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Right now we are talking with Matt Wolf, who is the director of Spaceship Earth, an incredible documentary. Zoe's talking with him not only about his career, but the plot of the film and what he thinks the film can teach the audience as well. Let's get back to the interview. And while you were making this, what did you want like young audiences to take away from this film? I was blown away by just how cool this was, but um, what did you really want to tell to younger generations? Well, that we're all biospherians that, you know, right now we're living at home, just kind of like the biospherians were stuck inside. But Biosphere 1, which they called the planet, is also a huge closed system. And everything we do in it has consequences. And if we're going to live forever into the future on our planet, we're going to have to change our behavior and really work together, probably in small groups, to figure out how to live sustainably. So I hope young people see a brighter future that involves really changing how they relate to the big biosphere of planet Earth. Yeah, I love that so much. And the actual biospherians, they're very cool people. Like, it's a very cool... Um, a very interesting group of people. So did you learn anything from them? Yeah, one of them, Linda Lay, um, she took me through Biosphere 2 and she, she pointed at a huge tree that was scraping against the glass ceiling of Biosphere 2. And she said, I planted that tree from a seed. And she said, if everybody planted a tree from a seed and saw it mature, it would change their relationship to the world. And that really struck me. I, I've never done anything like that. But I think it would really make me pause or think twice before doing anything that could harm the biosphere if I had fully watched a tree grow up, just like a little kid, you know? Yeah, and um, well, obviously we're facing this global pandemic, that's why we're on the computer right now. But did this affect your thoughts whenever you were gonna release the film at all? Yeah, you know, the distributor of the film intended to release it in movie theaters, but obviously people aren't going to theaters and it's not safe to do so anytime really soon. So we decided to release the film in an experimental way. Um, it'll be available to stream like lots of movies, but different museums and organizations and small businesses, anything from a restaurant to the Smithsonian, Washington, D.C., are going to be able to host screenings of the film. And when people rent it, they'll be able to support those businesses and organizations. But I'll also be doing special talks and events online. So I like to be in a movie theater to connect with audiences and communities, but this is a different way to do it. And Biosphere 2 is an experiment, so releasing the film in this way is a worthwhile experiment too. Yeah, I know I love going to movies and I miss it, but I'm sure anyone who watches this film will love it and it will probably bring the same effect to them. So when you were making this, what kind of sparked you or like what, spark the idea of creating a movie like this? I think I got inspired to create the movie when I realized that this wasn't just a short kind of two-year project that happened in the desert in 1991 and that was the end of the story. It was a much bigger story. I like to tell big stories that deal with huge themes and that will be relevant and interesting in many years to come. But I like to get at those ideas through really specific and unusual kind of projects like Biosphere 2 or characters like the Synergist, the group that invented it. So um, I was inspired because I saw the potential to tell a really big story. And enough time had passed that we can really go into that story in a way that has more depth than it was treated when it was happening in the world. Um, yeah. I. I really can't wrap my right my I can't wrap my mind around the fact that this actually happened. Like whenever you were filming, how did you feel like were you 
thinking, wow, like, this is so cool that anything is possible? Or what were your thoughts while actually creating the film? It's funny that you say, is anything possible? Because the group who invented Biosphere 2 actually had a theater company called the Theater of All Possibilities. So that was a big part of their, that was a big part of their philosophy is this idea that no idea is too big, that no idea can't be realized. You know, once you think about building a self-enclosed world under glass that could live in Mars, then anything is possible. So I thought that would inspire people too. Yeah, if you had to like go through something like this, or if you actually had to, like, how do you think you would survive? Because I don't know how I would. It wouldn't be easy for me. I'm not one to do a lot of, you know, yard work and cooking. But you know what? I wouldn't have a choice. And I wouldn't feel comfortable letting everybody else take care of all the business. I would want to do my part. So I think when you have so much responsibility and you're with a group of people, it kind of raises the stakes for you to pitch in and to do your part. And again, that's kind of what we have to do in the real world. It's not somebody else who's going to solve our problems or protect the planet. Kind of all of our responsibility and we're in it together, but it's easy to forget about that. Thank you so much, Matt. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Once again, I'm Zoe Canella reporting for Kids First. Thank you so much, Matt Wolf, for joining us to talk about his documentary, Spaceship Earth. If you'd like more information, go to madwolf.info slash spaceship dash earth. It is an incredible documentary, and I recommend you all to check it out. But this has been our show. Thanks so much for joining us. You have been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First Film Critic team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on press for kids kidsworld.com, and Kidsville News. This show is produced for the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for Voice America and iHeartRadio. This week's show is sponsored by Yokai Watch, the movie. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode, and tune in again next week. Bye.